welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. I, I hope people are excited for a pretty nerdy episode of Fringe Element, Aaron. I, I think I think people are going to be much much smarter when they're done with this episode as as SEC football fans. What do you think? I think I hope so. And I we tried to hide our nerdiness for long enough and yeah. unsuccessfully so. And now this is the real us. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty nerdy. There's no question me too. about that. Uh, so it, it, we sort of are combining a bunch of topics on the show today. It's sort of the expansion conversation that we had a couple, like a couple of weeks ago, name, image, and likeness conversation, which we've had on this show a lot. And I know people are tired of hearing about it, but there are laws now that have been signed into effect. And the SEC, of course, is ahead of schedule on this and forcing the rest of the country to, to follow suit. Um, but also the transfer rule has been changed and now everyone can transfer wherever they want. And we're going to look at some of those numbers. The sky is not falling. I want everyone to know. Um, really great interviews today on the show. Barrett Salee from CBS Sports, all over podcasts and SiriusXM and the internet and Twitter's all over the all over the world uh, at Barrett Salee. So we had to talk with him about a lot of this stuff as well as just some football stuff too. Uh, but then Aaron, you had a chance to catch up with someone with a fascinating title, an associate AD of compliance. She was, uh, this woman was, a had this role at Vanderbilt and is now at UCLA, Aaron Atkins. So some really interesting stuff on the show this week. Yep. Other Aaron. Um, yes, I met her at my time during my time at Vanderbilt. She is, which as a lot of compliance directors have to be now really good at putting legal terms into layman's terms, oftentimes <laughs> because they have to train, oftentimes because they have to train our, a department, multiple departments. God, I can't talk today. Multiple departments within an athletic department on how to comply. So not all lawyers are good at putting things in layman's terms, but compliance directors seem to be really good at it. Erin's really good at it. And she takes us all the way into the weeds of, you know, what the transfer por portal um, situation looks like and how that process goes and where we are on name, image and likeness and all that. Well, and, and the number, and there's a lot of reporting this week about name, image, and likeness that the number one concern is compliance. And so we thought, what better way to talk about compliance than with an associate AD of compliance? So, Aaron, great job. You'll hear that conversation with Aaron Atkins, Aaron versus Aaron on that conversation a little bit later on in the show. And again, Barrett Salee, of course, from CBS. So we'll talk a lot of stuff today. We'll, we'll get you some stats here in just a minute. But Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers is what your turn. Man? You got it. Oh, it's the next evolution of the sports bar. Elevated pub fair at your neighborhood watering hole with great happy hour, great menu, and that's right, you guessed it, free parking. Jan Dugan on Mother's Day insisted that this is unlike any sports bar she had ever been to. She was <laughs> almost aghast that it was even considered aghast. one. It, it, she was aghast. Uh, you'll hear more about Jane Dugan's experience at Jaspers. It's Jan. Jan. Did I say Jane? I think so, but you didn't mean to. Sorry, Jan. I, I've been talking a lot today. Jan Dugan, her experience at Jasper's, which I'm sure was exceptional. You'll hear more about it. It was actually quite interesting. You'll hear more about it a little bit later on in the show. Go to Jasper's Great Happy Hour, Grab and Go Market. You can now rent out the private game room for viewing parties if you want. Uh, obviously, if you care about the Preds, you can get a gold standard cocktail during happy hour as well during Preds games as they made the playoffs this week. So a lot of good stuff still at Jasper's and new menu items. So go to Jasper's free parking, check all that stuff out. So I thought I would combine all of these issues, Aaron, before we hear from Barrett and, and from Aaron Atkins, you're not going to hear a whole lot from us today, but I, I just think all of these issues are sort of connected for SEC football fans. And that is expansion is good for the SEC name, image, and likeness. The reason we're bringing this up, I know people are tired of it, but <laughs> Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana have signed laws into effect that take place July 1st to give SEC schools an advantage to pay players. And obviously the NCAA doesn't like this, but it's good for the SEC. And transferring, you know, listen, Alabama just got Henry Toto from Tennessee. You know, I know Tennessee's losing a bunch of people in the transfer portal, but that new rule has come into effect and that could help the SEC too. So I just think all these rules are kind of wrapped into one big ball of like the SEC should be at the front of all of these saying, Hey, let's keep doing this because I think it's going to help all of them. I agree. And not only that, but I think in recent years and not even over the course of the past decade, couple decades, we've seen 
you know, at times a frightening amount of power in one organization's hands being the NCAA. And this is a sign that, you know, they won't be controlling everything now. A lot of the what the NCAA does is great, but you know, they have drugged their feet, dragged their feet on some things. And now, you know, the way this is going, they won't necessarily be able to do that. And they're being forced, in fact, to do the opposite. And some power is being given back to the schools, some power is being given back to the state, some power has been given back to players. Um, so that's that's good for the sport, all the sports all around. Well, I think it's a short term problem. Cause you can't, you can't have 50 States with 50 different rules no. legislating the same thing. And then all of a sudden Alabama, the state of Alabama schools can pay way more than the state of Nebraska schools can pay. Yeah, or that whatever. Won't work. That, that's going to have to be fixed eventually. But if I'm an sec school, there's a reason that the California law is taking until 2023 and all of the sec laws, sec state laws are kicking into effect like next month. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there, it's not an accident that those States are ahead of the curve on all of this and sort of forcing the NCAA's yeah. hand to, to handle this. Now the transfer rule is a little different because I could see sec fans. It's obvious for expansion, right? Like if they expand, why wouldn't more sec teams get in? So it's good for the sec. I think name image and likeness. We just explained why it's good for, for the sec because they're more passionate and they're willing to pay more. Right. I do think the transfer portal, it's a little bit more complicated um, but I think what it'll do for the SEC is create a little bit more balance. And I think you could argue that's good because w- Alabama is th- like the teams that are leading the, the league in transfer acquisitions this year. You tell me if you think there's anything in common with these Tennessee's leading the SEC with 10 Mississippi state brought in seven transfers, Arkansas, Kentucky, and South Carolina all brought in six transfers. What do those five or six schools have in common? They're not the good ones. I mean, Kentucky's yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's better. Uh, uh, that's Room probably, for improvement. That's probably an insult to Kentucky. But, you know, A&M is losing 18 transfers. LSU lost 12. Auburn's losing 17. Bama lost eight. Georgia lost 11. They don't need to bring a whole lot of transfers in because they're so good. Right. And so I, w- what you could argue is that the lesser schools in the SEC are taking advantage of this. And the other schools in the SEC, the powerful ones, are just losing a couple of depth pieces per year. And oh, by the way, they're still going out and getting the guy they want, right? Alabama went out and got Toto. I I just think it could create a little tiny bit more balance in the conference, and that wouldn't be a bad thing, right? I don't think so. Um, And it also gets – I don't know the exact most concise way to say this, but – you know, there's a risk going into these big SEC schools with – you know, the possibility of never seeing the field. So I would, I would argue that some guys, you know, don't know if you want to go to Texas A&M and potentially be a third string for your whole career and maybe have to sit out a year. And, you know, maybe you do decide to go to, you know, a big 10, a big 12 school and and know that you're going to see the field at some point. So I think the opportunity to transfer also, you know, can gives, gives SEC schools some chance at some depth, um, because it's it's easier to pivot if you feel like you're not going to have the opportunity that you want to have. And maybe that can benefit any conference, but I think for the SEC, you know, it gives some flexibility that maybe wouldn't make guys fearful of being locked into what could potentially be like a third string career. Right. So, so what's the biggest concern for the best teams in the SEC with this transfer rule that you're going to learn that you're going to lose depth. a little bit of depth? Yeah. I think so because think the name, yeah, that's, that, that is it. And I mean, you know, sometimes schools that have a ton of depth, you can cover some holes like Alabama, like we just talked about with with Henry Toa Toa. Am I saying that right? You say it different than me. Toa Toa. Okay. Um, Because, you know, Alabama, quote unquote, had some weakness at linebacker but like very <laughs> i mean that's all it's all relative well, and there and alabama's other transfer is a wide receiver from ohio state so obviously a total schlub yeah i, you know I think I mean? like i'm not worried about alabama the, no not at all i think further down the depth chart it could make some difference because like you and i have talked about before you know a, a third string maybe a third string guy at lsu or alabama isn't as marketable as a first string local kid that grew up in Murfreesboro and went to Vanderbilt or someone that's starting at Western Kentucky or in that particular area. But I don't think overall we're going to see any, um, you know, any downfall of level of play or talent at SEC games week to week. 
Yeah, cut, real, real quick stat too, because I think everyone thinks the sky is falling on all this stuff, right? Expansion and name, image, and likeness and, and transferring. Um, listen, transfers across the country, 12,000 football players per year, 12.7% of them percent of them transferred in 2016, 14.7% transferred in 2019. And that number right now today, with still some more calendar left, is at, is at less than 13%. That'll probably go up to 13, 13.5%, 14%. We have not seen a massive influx. What we're seeing is a bunch of kids go into the portal and not have scholarships to come out. And right. that's, a, that's a problem. That's a concern. But I think that's only a problem that can be solved by changing some of the rules around the scholarship limitations, which smarter people than us are going to have to figure out. Yep. Like you can't cap it at 25 for each year and then have like 12 empty scholarship locations and, and a bunch of kids sitting in the portal with no place to go. But the vast majority of these kids are transferring down a level, right? 60% of the power five transfers are going down a level from power five football down to group of five. So I, you know, they're, they're just looking for opportunity. And I think the way you, I think the way you spin all of this is, is, and I don't know, I guess maybe not spin, but like reassure people is that I just don't think your experience as a fan is going to change all that much. If you, if you've been sitting in the same row at Jordan Hare stadium for 35 years with your family season ticket holders singing war Eagle, like I, I just, I don't think that that experience for you is going to change any because your wide receiver is making five grand or your offensive lineman transferred from South Carolina. Like, I just don't, I just don't see it as altering your experience all that much. So I just don't think fans should be too worked up about this stuff. That's all. I agree. I think you have to be, you have to have a long, unfortunate series of injuries in the same position to ever really even notice any kind of difference. And even still, when you go from second string to third string, there is still a difference in the game. So, right. you know, it, it won't affect, it, it really will not affect your game day Saturday experience and your game day couldn't be worse than it was in 2020. So <laughs> there's that. There you go. And if they expand the playoff, your team has a better chance to make the playoff already. So just like that, boom, problem solved. Not a better chance to win, but just a better chance to be there. Right. And that's all that matters. <laughs> if you're, if you're one of these, you know, if you're most schools in America, like most schools in the SEC, even though there's a lot of good ones in the SEC, you know, just a just a temper, you know, just a chance to get to the playoff is is what you're looking for here, right? So, yep, um, should be very interesting. All right, Aaron, here's all the evidence you need to know as to why people shouldn't be stressed out about all this stuff and that their experience isn't going to change. Did you see Mark Rick's comments about this? The post NIL college football world, how, how Mark Rick, former SEC Georgia coach, had the audacity to suggest and 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 think about what this world could look like after we. We give athletes the ability to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Quote, it's going to be money, girls, football, and school. End quote. And I thought, yeah. You mean like it already is? If you're concerned about what the future holds for college football, just listen to Mark Richt. He's telling you it's all about money, girls, football, and school, which is obviously not at all what it's like right now. <laughs> he, that was a special moment for him, I think. <laughs> And now it's just all over everything. Yeah, see, no reason to worry. <laughs> I just laughed. I like it didn't even, I mean, I did end up reading that article, but you sent that article to me earlier, Braden, and <laughs> I just saw the title and I was just like, <sighs> I hate how, to see it. How out of touch are you? <laughs> like, what, Very. What, what do you think kids do in college? Like, they, they, Groundbreaking well, they, new, you heard it here first from Mark Ritt. Right. They, go to, they go to school, they play football, they talk to girls and they have some money. How about that? All right, maybe the money one's different, finally. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, okay, that's uh, fine. Now they're not right. the only one at the school making millions and millions of dollars off themselves. Thank you so much, Mark Rake, for that nugget of wisdom. Groundbreaking. All right, so like I said, short abbreviated version of uh, our portion of the show today. You're going to hear from Aaron Atkins, who's probably smarter than both of us combined. An totally. associate, associate AD of Compliance from UCLA, formerly of Vanderbilt. She's going to give you, Aaron had a great conversation with Aaron later on in the show, a great conversation to sort of understand how the NC, how the schools are sort of viewing all of this stuff. Uh, but when we come back, you'll hear from Barrett Salee of CBS Sports. We're going to talk all about this stuff and maybe some football as well. So don't go anywhere. Barrett Salee from CBS Sports when we come back. Barrett, good to talk to you, man. Great to see you. Always a pleasure. Thank you for hanging out on the show this week, man. Well, man, long time no talk. And yeah, it's uh, it's weird. We actually had spring practice wrap up. It's all, It was almost normal. 
this year, which, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to see that after what we've been through the last year. So we'll get to a lot of that stuff. I do have some spring practice questions for you in just a minute, but we've got a couple of like sort of big bullet point structural things that we want to talk to you about as it pertains to college football and the SEC in particular. And that number one, a couple of weeks ago, expansion, 63 options. We've talked about it a lot on the shows. I know you've done a, a ton of work on it. Just you and I used to uh, not necessarily argue about this because I think we kind of agreed about it. But we, has your opinion changed at all over the last couple of years on what the playoff structure should be and your opinion on what the, the powers that be are actually going to do? Well, my opinion on what I want has changed a little bit. Um, the powers that be, um, you know, I, I, I thought all along they were going to go to eight. I still think they're going to go to eight. Uh, I disagree with the move. But here's the thing. I've, I wouldn't necessarily have softened on my opinion that we should stay at four. I've softened on the I've softened on the fact that I'm comfortable with eight as long as X, Y, and Z happen. And and the main thing for that would be eliminate divisions across the entire across all of FBS. If you eliminate divisions across all of FBS, then you're guaranteeing you're going to get your best two teams in a conference championship game. Pretty much guaranteed that every single one of those teams is close to championship caliber in terms of being one of the top eight teams in the country. So yes, you're still granting access. And we've talked about my phrase all along has been, uh, you know, you're granting access over excellence if you expand. Um, and that's still true. But if you, if you do away with divisions, you're, you're, you're only allowing access to the best teams based on the landscape each year. I still don't like it because I don't really care that, a, a team won the Pac-12. Uh, if there are three SEC teams that are better, there are three SEC teams that are better. But uh, if, if that's the way they're going to go, if they're going to go to eight, it has to be without uh, doing away with divisions across all Power Five conferences. Because at that point, then you're still sort of do, going in the direction that I like in the sense that you're still going to have relatively elite teams in the playoff, regardless of, of who they are. So when you, and I know maybe you guys are okay with it now just because you know it's happening and you're like, okay, this is going to happen no matter what. So here's what has to happen to make us more okay with it than we otherwise would have been. But what are your concerns, Barrett, about the other structures? I know you're a proponent for eight. What are your concerns about 12 and then is 16 just too many games? And and what are, what are your concerns about those other possibilities? Well, first things first, I'd love to know what options 60 through 63 are because <laughs> you're digging deep for some options then. Uh, but no, I'm not going to debate. I still want four. But um, I think with eight, uh, well, really, look, anything above six, you're guaranteed. They're, they're, it's only going to apply if they guarantee spots for conference, for Power Five Conference champions. That would also have to go uh, with a group of five champion for legal reasons. And then you'd have two at-larges. Um, and, you know, you have some independents like Notre Dame that can really, you know, affect that. So um, in reality, everyone says you get, you know, you're going to have Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State win the national championship anyway. Well, yeah. Um, so what do you want? More blowouts in the semifinals or quarterfinals? Because that's what you're going to get. And, I, you know, I think it also right now, um, if, if you have automatic bids for conference champions, no matter what the situation is, you leave yourself open for, uh, for a, an, an upset really drastically changing uh, a landscape. I go back to 2012. Wisconsin won the Big Ten. They were unranked. Florida State won the ACC. They were ranked 12th or 13th. Uh, Northern Illinois would have gotten the group of five spot. I think they they finished season 20th. Like those teams aren't aren't championship caliber. At the same time, a team like Stanford would have been left out of that situation. Because or no, Oregon. I'm sorry. Oregon was number four. Stanford was number three. Stanford won the conference championship. Um, you know, so it, that whole thing is just like you know. It, I want their subjectivity going to be in, it's going to be a, a, a part of college football, no matter what, there's no way around it. When you have 130 teams and, and disproportionate schedules and disproportionate budgets and all this other stuff, subjectivity is part of it. And I think a great part of it because we get to yell at each other all, all fall. Like that's good. That's healthy for the sport. Uh, if you don't, if you take that away, then you get what we have, which is, focusing solely on the playoff and no other storylines matter, which I can't stand. Um, and, and so, you know, I think if, if you go beyond the eight, then really it's just going to, going to increase the, the importance of the playoff discussion. And, and 
I like the uncertainty. I like not knowing what a week one upset means. I like not knowing what Virginia Tech beating Ohio State in week two in 2014 means because I remember we all wrote it and we all said it on uh, after that game. Well, the Big Ten's done because like every single Big Ten team lost. Well, the Big Ten team won the national championship because you, you have ebbs and flows and the season is judged based on the landscape. And, and I like that because not every landscape, not every season is the same. 60, 61, 62, and 63, I believe, were playing semifinal games at like Kinnick Stadium, Jack Trice Stadium, uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium, and like in Lawrence, Kansas. I think those were the final four options. Oh, see, you're, you're wrong, Graydon, because all four would have to be at the greatest college football stadium on in the planet, which is the Kibbe Dome in Moscow, Idaho. I, I, Moscow, Idaho, where people in Pullman go to party. Um, so, so through the lens, through the lens of, of the sec here, and we'll kind of broaden this conversation out from expansion because I, I I've long agreed with you. I'm starting to buy in and understand the merits of why, like making it more like Omaha, Nebraska. And like, if Michigan state can get in, that helps them recruit. And like, I, I can sort of start to see some of that, even though I've always been, uh, you know, vehemently opposed to expansion. I'm with you. We, we've been anti-expansionist together for many years. Um, let, let's through the lens of the SEC and, and including name, image, and likeness and the transfer rule. If I'm an SEC coach, now I know the numbers on the transfer currently in 2021, you know, 80% of guys that are leaving out, you know, the SEC are going to non-Power 5 schools. They're kind of going down. So they're not really getting poached right now. Or, or Alabama's not doing much poaching outside of Henry Toto. But wouldn't the SEC be in favor of all of this stuff? Because if if they're going to dominate a 14 playoff, well, that means they're going to dominate an 18 playoff. If the SEC is going to, you know, if, if transferring is going to be a thing that helps the rich, then the SEC should be in, in favor of that. If name, image, and likeness is all about you having a big brand as a player and being able to market yourself, well, aren't you more marketable at Alabama and in the SEC than a, a vast majority of other leagues? Isn't all of this stuff that SEC fans and coaches and administrators should be like out beating the drum on? No doubt. I mean, yeah, if you expand to eight and, and yeah, the SEC is going to benefit dramatically from that, just as it has with four, um, you know, with Georgia and Alabama getting in and, and all that. But, um, you know, I think it goes back to something that, you know, predates Greg Sankey and predates, predates Mike Slive. And, and it goes back to Roy Kramer and Charles Bloom uh, first creating the SEC championship game, uh, thinking and knowing that it would benefit the sport. It what they didn't. If you've watched the ESPN, you know, documentary on it, uh, that was wildly unpopular within the league. But they thought it would grow the sport, and it did. Uh, and then Charles Bloom uh, decided to come up with the BCS formula. And people hate the BCS. I get it, but it still advanced the sport uh, beyond the Bowl Alliance. And so I think the SEC has always had an eye out for what's best for the sport. Uh, Mike Slive talked about the plus one system, which ended up being what the college football playoff is like in 2006 uh, name, image and likeness was, uh, you know, they were at the forefront of that. Uh, and yes, the SEC benefits from that. But when Mike Slive first talked about the plus one, you know, the SEC run hadn't started, right? Like it had not started yet. The SEC was just another conference. In fact, you, you could say that, um, you know, the, the big 12 with Oklahoma and the PAC 12 with USC were pretty much on par. There was no really line of delineation. So I think while you're right from a selfish perspective, yes, the SEC uh, and its fans and its coaches should be for expansion because it does give more teams the opportunity and thus gives all the teams more money. But I do think there's been a mindset within the, the administrative level of the SEC for years and years and years for decades that uh, part of their responsibility because of the passion and because of the importance of the sport not just to the fans, but to local municipalities, like to, to actual cities and regions that um, they have to look out for what's best for the sport in order to, you know, sort of keep that aspect of college football and, and its footprint uh, as healthy as possible. When you talk about, and as just as Braden just said, Barrett, like a lot of the SEC guys are going to these smaller, not power five schools and, and kind of, you know, I won't say downgrade, but like, take going down to a, a lower level of play in terms of the guys that are transferring either into sec or into the sec, who do you think the biggest difference makers are 
are there. Obviously, we just talked about Alabama, but are there any other guys that you really think could kind of change the course of, of play this fall for an SEC school? Yeah, Henry Toto, I think, is a, is a big one. I mean, I know he drew all the, the headlines, but, um, you know, Alabama, the middle of that linebacking core, you have, what, Shane Lee, who's been around. Christian Harris, obviously, is, is a star, but he's been injury prone. Um, you know, and, and having a guy like Toto in there, who I think is going to probably start opposite Harris, is big because then you look on, you know, look outside. Um, you've got Will Anderson, who was just an absolute stud out there, and then you've still got a pretty solid defensive front. So Pete Golding's under a lot of fire. Uh, but uh, I think when you add, you know, a piece like that, then your front seven basically gets solidified and it then becomes Golding's responsibility to make sure the defense continues to do what it's been doing. Because if he, if he doesn't, he's getting fired. And, and that could drastically change, um, you know, what Alabama, Alabama's defense looks like. So I think not just from an on-field perspective, because Alabama's Alabama and they're going to do what they do and whatever, um, you know, but, but really for, for what the, I wouldn't say stability, but for the future of what that defense looks like, um, you know, he's an important piece. And then uh, the Hendon Hooker deal um, at Tennessee and really the Joe Milton deal. Um, I wrote my our overreactions piece last week that Tennessee has the healthiest quarterback room in the SEC, which again overreactions, not reality, but overreactions. <laughs> but you know, it's based in a little bit of reality, right? You know, you have you know three guys with starting experience. They do a little bit of different things. You have a new system with a great quarterback developer uh, and Josh Heupel who wants to go fast. So um, you know, having Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton in there. Even if it's Harrison Bailey who wins the job, I would say that those two guys are going to have a massive impact on what Tennessee is this year. Yeah, I think the quarterback room as a whole is better than people think it is yeah. and is an advantage for them. Now, is one of those guys better than any one guy at the other SEC schools? I think that's the, I think that's yeah. the, the, the big question. Um, you know, it, it's not a surprise to me that – you talked about the SEC sort of leading the way and being ahead of the pack on a lot of stuff. And, and generally they push, I don't mean like illegally, but they push the rules forward in a lot really of different, yeah, yeah, sometimes, but, but when it comes to spending money on facilities, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to analysts and graduate assistants, sort of the, 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 the stuff around the sport that makes you maybe more successful because SEC is more passionate about this stuff. I think two, two things come to mind on this when, as it pertains to transfers, it's, are you going to create a scouting department in your organization? Do you have the resources to create a scouting department, not for recruiting, but for other athletes in college football? I think yeah. that's, a, that's a question. And I think the SEC has the resources to do it. But number two, there, there's a reason that Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and Louisiana have already signed laws for the name, image, and likeness stuff to go into effect. And the rest of the country is way behind on this. So I, I just – like – we can argue about a lot of things that the South doesn't do correctly. I'm a Southerner, but this one right here, there's a reason that those four States are putting that legislation into place faster than anybody else. Um, and honestly, I think so, part of the part of it outside of Florida's is that, you know, this date kind of snuck up on them, right? Like I think people looked at the calendar, they were dealing with the pandemic and were like, Holy crap. Like July 1st, 2021 is like now. So they went through this quickly and, and passed them on. And yeah, I mean, they, it, look, it goes back to something I said earlier. Everything is about the health of college football. And that's why the SEC was at the forefront of facilities. And like you said, scouting departments, things like that. Now the name, image, and likeness, because the SEC absolutely has to have its conference and its schools playing and making, making a ton of money. Like it's different than other conferences. It absolutely has to for the livelihood of so many people around some of these college towns. So, um, so because of that, yes, they want to win. There's no doubt. Um, but there's also a built-in incentive for them to be, you know, in the forefront of all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's the name, image, and likeness stuff. Like, I, I think that from a football perspective, the SEC is always going to recruit nationally. But now more than ever, you're going to see teams like Mississippi and, and Mississippi State sort of look at, at recruits nationally and say, okay, you're not getting calls from Alabama, Georgia, A&M, whatever, but you come here – you're still going to have not just football value, but look how much value we can provide to you from a, from a financial perspective. So, yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge tool, and it's not a surprise that, that they're uh, quickly going through state by state and getting this done. So, Barrett, I, I talked to, um, and we're going to share some of the, her interview on here, Erin Adkins, who is the Director of Compliance at Vanderbilt when I was there and now is the 
assistant AD of compliance at UCLA. And she was kind of talking through an overview of what it looks like if, you know, we end up with all of these different state regulated situations, like we're talking about with name, image, and likeness, and they're all different. Have you dug into the dangers of that if they can't come up with a uniform, you know, overlying system and what kind of effects it could have if everybody ends up on different pages? Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a problem. Uh, I think it's only a short-term problem because the, the national stuff, the national uh, push by a bunch of different representatives, Anthony Gonzalez has sort of been um, at the forefront of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a massive problem. Uh, it's going to create, it's going to actually create a ton of jobs within the athletic departments to make sure everything's on the up and up. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be different, but I think right now you look at, at some of these laws, none of them are capped. They're all based. Like, I think the concern is that, okay, well, you know, Florida can offer way more than Georgia, uh, more so than Louisiana or whatever, but none, there's nothing capped right now anyway. So as long as that aspect of it um, doesn't change, then, um, you know, I think then, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. Now I know the Georgia law says a school can take 70%. That's like so overblown. It's not even funny, but, um, but, you know, stuff like that, you know, that if that starts to be enacted, which it will never be enacted, then yeah, you might have some problems, but, um, but by and large, unless there's a cap on it, then, then I don't think there's going to be an issue. Yeah. I know, I know compliance people are, are super concerned. Uh, obviously they're stretched really thin. They don't really have a, like a full infrastructure around the country, but it, it is, I just don't know why you just don't know. allow allow access. And again, I'm not an economist here, but just allow access to the free market, do it all above board, document it all, make it all transparent. And then nobody can really cheat. You just, instead of like cheating to pay a kid, you just go pay the kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I and here's the thing. Here's the thing with that too. It, I think there's this concern is like, Oh, well, Alabama is going to pay every single recruit a million bucks but through Ford dealerships or Mercedes dealerships. It's like th- those businesses have budgets, like if they're doing it above board, like they're going to have to say, okay, I'm giving Tuatonga Vailoa a million dollars per, per, per a year and giving Jalen Hurts 250 or Najee Harris 500,000. Like, yeah, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you could start throwing money at all these players. Your livelihood would disappear quickly because that's not a very sound business decision. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got to get return on investment, and everybody's worth a lot closer to like five thousand dollars than five hundred thousand um, dollars. That is for sure. All right, we'll end on a football question here, Barrett, and that is, I, I I don't think anyone is challenging Alabama in the West this year. I do think A and M is salty, but and, and I know Jimbo's had some fun in the media, but I I do think that Georgia's the only team that is interesting to me. From a, can you beat Bama? Can you win the SEC? Can you get to the playoff? Can you win the whole thing? Like, I just don't, am I crazy for thinking that Georgia is a little bit closer to Bama than we think, and that there's really no other option in the SEC in 2021? You're not crazy for thinking Georgia's way closer to Bama because I agree with you. Um, I think the one issue you look at with Georgia is their wide receivers. And I mean, I, I think they'll be fine, honestly. I mean, I think that that's not uh, it's a it's an issue, but it's not one that they can't overcome. Best running back room in the, in the conference, best quarterback right now in the conference, um, a, a good offensive line and a defense that's phenomenal. So, I mean, yeah, they're really close to Alabama. I will say, though, that you said that there's no one even close behind those two. I have gone from incredibly skeptical of LSU to incredibly bullish on LSU because I didn't look at the spring game. I get it. You, but you've made this mistake before with LSU, Barrett. Come on now. No, 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 no. Be no, careful. I, be careful. I made, the, I made it the other direction, thinking they're going to be awful. And a lot of times I was right, but a couple of times I was not. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I – the offense looked like Joe Brady's like it, it, I went back and actually watched Joe Brady's spring game before 2019 and compared it to 2021's it looked the same last year's did not like it did not um and then defensively they don't have Bo Pelini so that's a <laughs> massive step forward uh just by, by addition by subtraction but they looked like they were they, they were comfortable they knew what they were doing um and they had a ton of guys play last year a ton of ton of younger guys play last year so I think that LSU is going to be much closer to Bama than Texas A&M. How, much, how close are they to Bama? Probably depends on Bill O'Brien more than anything else. All right. Barrett Silly, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, man. 
we do appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll be listening. We'll be reading all that great stuff. We, we do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Barrett. Y'all. Fringe Element is brought to you by Gaspers, your local upgraded watering hole for sports. I don't know. It's so worth it, though, you to watch me... you try. It's so worth it to watch you try it. You make me do it every time. Because you start to go into the voice, and then you can tell you're going into the voice, but I can see your brain working, trying to tell yourself to not go into the voice, but you still do it anyway. I know, and it starts so with, like, good. me. I, like, roll an L, which I didn't even know was possible. Like, your local, like, I, like, almost <laughs> R rolled an L. Jasper's has a wonderful, more evolved menu now. It's a couple of new items. I tried the lamb barbacoa quesadilla, which is exceptional. I had that. Uh, also tried a couple of the new frat, flat, frat breads? Frat, frat bread. <laughs> Fratty. <laughs> this is an um, SEC podcast. This what? is a frat bread. Oh, whoa. Frat breads. Goes great uh, with a natty ice. <laughs> uh, they have wonderful flat breads uh at jaspers great free parking of course great happy hour four to six p.m preds are in the playoffs so four to six p.m and during preds games great great happy hour there uh exceptional menu items and some drink specials as well so make sure you check that out and it's also as it turns out aaron a wonderful place to take your mom on mother's day yep i went there with my brother it was like a group of like seven of us including my brother and my mom and my dad who are all in town for the first time since all of this 2020 craziness. Um, it must've been nice. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. We spent all weekend together. Um, I'm trying to think of what everybody got. My brother got the steak and egg I'd had before. I Ooh. talked him into it and it was, he very much enjoyed it. His they plate was clean. They added scallops to the menu. And like, I just couldn't bring myself to eat scallops at like 11 o'clock. Cause I was there last week too. I just couldn't bring myself to eat the scallops entree at like 11.30 a.m. So what you, did it. you eat the quesadilla as your entree? I tried the quesadilla and I tried the flat, like it has like prosciutto, I think, a flatbread. Oh, so good. Yeah, so I don't remember the name of that. We got the um, Hawaiian chicken. That's the other one. The other new one, yeah. Yeah, that was really, really good. I got a side Brussels, I mean, kale oh. Caesar. Oh, delicious. <laughs> I love it. Basic, delicious. basic, you know basic girl order why didn't you um, do an interview you did an interview on the pod this week why didn't you do an interview with your mom giving us a recap of of her experience like did she enjoy mother's day did, was it was it a 10 out of 10 she, experience you know what maybe i mean I, it's not too late i can get her to i can still record her giving her recap <laughs> of mother's day yeah no it was great and we she loved the margs i call her um i call them janaritas when she drinks them because it takes her about two and a half and then she that's about she's tiny so that's about all she needs so she had two and, and stopped. But sometimes when Jan drinks tequila, she um, just straight up stops talking and gets silent. And I'm pretty sure it's because my dad and I are like joke really hard. So she didn't want to say anything to incriminate herself. So if she has more than two margaritas. She goes silent. <laughs> Call it silent sister. We, we know when Jan is quiet that she's uh, she's had too much <laughs> to drink. Too, she's too afraid she'll never hear the end of it if she says the wrong thing. Jaspers, the keeping your mom quiet. <laughs> <laughs> add it to the list no it was great we had a ton of fun she loved her food she got the salmon which is delicious and nice nice well that's great that, it's awesome. that was a great experience for you because guess what you took your family to jasper's and um my dad made sure to point out started screaming in the car on the way there and was like it's right here i can tell this is the free parking lot he like <laughs> You know, he's like, I've heard so much about it. I'd recognize this parking lot anywhere. Well, I think he's making fun of you, but that's fine. It's quite the parking lot and it, it means the advertising is working. So mm-hmm. go to Jasper's yes. and park for free. There you go. Big and free. The lot. Okay. <laughs> great happy hour. Great menu. Great place to go watch the, watch the game. Preds, of course. Great happy hour. You got the private game room now that you can rent out uh, that that's available now because of all the restrictions being loosened up, which is great. You got the grab and go market, which has got all kinds of cool merch in there. Some stuff mm-hmm. from, from all their other restaurants. Um, you can take some food if you want as well. So they just got all kinds of cool experiences at Jasper's. Just go check it out. It's worth your time. The food is great. It's very affordable. Great place to watch the game and have a drink. So, and and oh, by the way, if you if you overserve your mother, she'll shut up. It's great. Yeah, tequila specifically. <laughs> and that's and that's where Erin gets her love of tequila. Go to Jasper's, everybody.
Obviously, special thanks to Barrett Salee for joining us. Next up on the show is Aaron Atkins, the Associate Athletic Director of Compliance for UCLA. Used to have the same role, of course, for Vanderbilt, so no one has a greater perspective on sort of the NCAA, the, the university, and the compliance side of this equation as we talk about all these issues, transfers, name, image, and likeness, expansion, etc. So it was a fascinating listen. It's a great conversation. Big ups to Aaron Dugan for getting the guest. And so here is Aaron Dugan's conversation with Aaron Atkins, the Associate AD of Compliance for UCLA. It seems like the NCAA is, you know, they're kind of panicking trying to jump now and you know maybe things could have been done in the past but now they're trying to pivot and make sure everything is in place how is that affecting you guys as a compliance department i know a lot of you guys are already stretched really thin and yeah i I think generally we we all went into this year thinking we would have a a name image and likeness proposal and they would get voted on and it would get adopted like an nca proposal which opens up the door to name, image, and likeness. And that was supposed to be voted on this January. And it was a great proposal. And I think as we got closer to that date, there was more and more pressure from local and federal government to go farther. Almost like the, the bill did it, the proposal wasn't enough in regards to name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. And a mixture of that pressure, along with this idea that right now, you know, there's, I'm not going to get the number right, there's like 38 states that have bills going into effect. Some of those states, and now I think we're up to maybe six, five or six, will go into effect this summer. And I think the big issue was the NCA saw that their proposal isn't going to be vast enough to cover 38 different state bills at the local level. Mm -hmm. So they paused in January and said, okay, let's see. We have a new administration um, in the presidency. Let's see if we can get one uniform bill because we can't have, because if the NCA has their name and likeness bill, it really doesn't matter if Mississippi has one and Florida has one and California has one and they're all different because we need uniformity. So in January, they paused the NCA bill in hopes that a uniform bill would come this summer at the federal level. And, you know, the president's been busy. It's a pandemic and, you know, Name, image, likeness wasn't on the top of the list. And in addition to that, um, you know, the House and the Senate, they're not exactly ready for that yet either. And so since January, we've now seen, like I said, five states that maybe had later effective dates like California's or, or other states that's like, okay, this will come into effect 22 or 23. Right. Now they're like, no, 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 it's going to be July 21. And so now we're up against a clock because, you know, there's five states that go into effect this summer. So what you're seeing this week from the NCA is like, are we really going to go into the fall with no uniform NCA bill that at least covers the masses in some way and have, you know, five, six, seven states start their own bill? So it's it's really this like race against time of like, are we going to get a uniform bill federally? Or is it gonna, is that going to take too long? So does the NCA just need that stopgap of an overall proposal that at least allows some basis of name, image, and likeness? Because you know, I think I think the NCA gets nervous that only five states would be able to do that, and then you you, you have forty five left And what happens overarchingly? What happens if that doesn't get into place? Yeah, I mean, we've never had something like that where like five states get the benefit of a huge law that others don't, right? It's kind of like saying, okay, you five states, you get to go and spend $10,000 per recruit to go get them, but the others don't, right? You just have a a misbalanced effect on everything you do, and it's just the equity isn't there, and and the NCA, it just needs equity. So it would be scary is like a harsh word, but... You just, I don't think anybody's really thought of, well, what happens come September if five states have name, image, and likeness and 45 don't? It just because it kind it wouldn't of, be equitable. Because it kind of can't. And if it does, as we move towards trying to create equity in the distribution of talent, because that's good for the sport, for it to not all be pooled in one place, us not figuring this out you know, before it's too late means that we're heading even more towards it might be in a different direction. It might not be all Alabama, but it might be, you know, the disbursement of talent would still become more narrow yeah. in a different way. 
Yeah, and, you know, the entire NCA model is, well, I mean, it's built off of amateurism, right? And so to think that you could have a small group of student-athletes who can make money off their name, image, and likeness, and then the larger population not, it's also just, the, the yes, the balance of power would be not great, but it's also just a really bad look because, like, this is a pillar. Right, it's I a mean, foundational, it's, it's a foundational yeah. issue. Uh-huh. And, and, like, I think everybody agrees name, image, and likeness will get passed and should get passed and it's what the student athletes deserve. It's a much different conversation than pay for play. But you want it to all go in one swift. And and I guess, you know, we all want things to be a little neat and it, it's not like that. So this week, what you're seeing, I think the NCA do is like, look, if it takes too long to get the federal bill in, which it might because the government is busy, let's at least go and maybe adopt the baseline proposal so that everybody at least has some form of name and likeness their student athletes can access coming this fall. Mm-hmm. But let's still work for a federal bill nationally so we're all under the same umbrella. Because the minute your state adopts a name and likeness bill, it's probably going to circumvent and overpower the NCA proposal. Yes. So, you know, do we really want 40 individual bills? Because all of these bills have very different nuances. Like I read this morning, Georgia, you can access name, image, and likeness, but you can't do it anywhere on campus. Um, some have, like, pay-for-play elements. Some have issues with trademarks and logos. So they're all, like, different facets. Right. And if we're working, if we have 40 different state bills eventually, well, then, one, that makes it a nightmare for compliance professionals. <laughs> but, two, it's like, then you're just going to start recruiting based on your bill. If Florida has the most liberal bill, then they may go and get, they may just get more recruits because I'm going to go to Florida. I can maximize my name and likeness there better. It's always important. I think pay for play has just been such a heavy topic now for like a decade. I don't think it, I don't, I don't necessarily correlate it directly to the playoff expansion. I mean, there's the Allison case in the Supreme court right now. That's going to be huge towards this idea. And, and, and if that passes and if that passes the mustard, then, you know, it could change the industry tenfold i think right. pay for play is its own nugget that could change this entire world I, I i to me i just don't i don't compare it to its effect and impact on uh playoff expansion because pay for play changes the model completely you know you're now in an employer employee status you have schools that have been hemorrhaging money and now they have to like some of these call it like a 50 revenue split it's like so pay for play to me is its own big whammy that impacts the entire industry more so than just the the college football expansion right so Braden and I were talking about this Aaron if talking about the transfer portal and all of that if things are all above board kind of transparent you know players are basically in this free market format and you know what every player is worth what are the concerns you guys still have about cheating or guys or different teams or schools working the system with the transfer portal i guess your biggest thing is like um improper recruitment maybe like you know a coach reaching out to a student athlete who's not in the transfer portal yet right Mm -hmm. and offering them a scholarship and then the student goes in the portal and then you leave so i think the biggest issue with free market with this idea that people believe it's as free market in the transfer portal would be you know um would be that just the improper recruitment and recruiting prior prior to the student entering the transfer portal because that's the biggest thing is like poaching players right and i think you know some people see it as poaching players like a bigger school coming down to get like a junior at a mid mid-major school so I think that's the biggest concern with everybody with these new transfer rules is, you know, we got to make sure we're still recruiting the right way. And, and and that's the biggest one is making sure that there's no there's no communication prior to the student leaving the portal. And then I guess are you are you thinking about it more like how it ties into name, image, and likeness, or just standing on its own? I mean, I think standing on its own, and then if you want to tie name, image, and likeness in, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think that's one hundred percent the biggest thing is you know is one. Are these students going to be properly recruited or are you going to have schools poaching players currently on rosters? So, so that's the biggest deal. Two, probably just as big and, and as important is just the academic standards, right? Uh, you know, it, it's the more you transfer, the harder it is to graduate. And that's the reality, right? Because you lose units, you extend your time. Now that you have the one-time transfer, you don't have to sit. So now you're still trying to get out in maybe four years, but 
you also maybe lost units. So, you know, when when people are looking at this whole transfer deal, that was the two issues: was are we hurting student athletes' eligible um, path to graduation? Because it may it may like move them on to a new school where it's not as easy to graduate due to the loss of units. And are we going to have coaches improperly recruiting student athletes? So, so those were the two big issues that we just you know as an industry still have to now think about as students enter the portal and as students um, continue their path to graduation because obviously like we said amateurs is the foundation but so is academics so we have to continue on with that but I would say those are the two big ones in terms of the transfer portal um, and that success I mean other than the cheating right it's it's the same way a coach the same way a coach can cheat to get a student out of high school they can cheat to get a student out of a college right like now once they're in the portal are you going to fairly recruit them which is just offer them an education that place on your team or are you going to improperly recruit them by providing them a benefit of something financial or of something of substance and that's going to be those are the same worries and concerns we have of a coach going into a high school to try and recruit a kid so i don't i don't see that as much different got it um i, I feel like those recruiting rules are still the same you still can't pay a kid to come to your school right regardless if they're a transfer or a recruit for your job specifically, how has this, and you kind of you've alluded to this, but how does this one-time transfer rule really change the process? What that process look like before, and what does it look like now? Because I'm, I'm wondering, do you have a concern that guys are making the most informed decision possible, or are they jumping into this in a way that they never have before, and you're afraid of them losing scholarship and ending up as a walk-on somewhere else? Yeah, so before the transfer portal, it was called uh, permission to contact. So the student would come to myself or a head coach and say, I want permission um, for schools to contact me. And it was almost like a the school he or she was at had the ability to say yes or no. And most people said yes because you're not going to block a kid's permission to go communicate. But if you said no, there was like an appeal process. So it, was, it, it almost felt a little bit like the school had the power because the student athlete came to you and said, may I do this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I guess the, the only good thing, because I, I do believe in the student athletes right to be able to have the power to do all this, is it created more conversation, right? Like, okay, well, why do you want to do this? What are you thinking about? And whether it was with myself as a compliance officer or your coach, because you needed the school's permission, right? So by needing permission, it just stimulates more conversation. A couple of years ago when the transfer portal came in, it kind of flipped that idea on its head. The student athlete doesn't need permission. The student athlete tells you they wanted the transfer portal and you have two days to put them in. So the student athletes gain back all that power. Again, great. I don't I don't think there's an issue there. It's just it changes the conversation because it changes the power dynamic. And, and again, those are like strong words, but it's the best I can think of. But if you think about it, if you're Aaron coming and you want to leave place A to go look at greener pastures and you're like, oh, I need to go get permission. Well, then you attack the conversation differently, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were and now want to leave and you're like, oh, do this, and you have two days per the rule, right? Like, if you don't want to have a conversation with me about the why and eligibility and all that, you don't have to. Because you're like, no, Aaron, you have two days. And I don't care when you tell my coach because he can't stop it. You still have two days. Interesting. And so, and th- and so I think that's where that changed. And again, it's great because the student athlete got that power back to say, like, why are you telling me I can't go talk to these, these schools, right? But it then, again, just changes that communication dynamic. Compliance is not an easy job, and you have very direct relationships, very good relationships probably with most of the student athletes you work with. So I'm sure regardless of whether you would love a kid to stay and see them every day, you're concerned about them making sure that they end up in the best possible situation. 100%. And you know me. I mean, you know those relationships that I build. So that's super important to me. But yes, even when a student comes with me, my first thing is like, yeah, you know, coach can stop you, but he recruited you here. Like, I always start with a, I still think it's a good idea for you to let him know, not me. Yeah. Right? Like, I truly believe, like, I don't need, I shouldn't be the one to bring coach this mix. Now, if the, if, the, if the relationship is tarnished beyond all belief, and then yeah, some compliance officers just need to move forward. But I like to push the students back and be like, hey, you're right. I have to do this in two days. But you also could go into the coach's office and have this conversation and tell them the why, right? And so that's always the first thing I do. Now, the transfer rules are changing this year, but typically the second thing I do is if it's football or basketball or even baseball, they, they technically used to have to sit a year. Right. So I would remind them, I go, 
you know, you're going to have to sit a year. And, and the first time the kids in their mind, because they hear this word so much, is like, don't worry, Aaron, I know I can get a waiver. And I'm like, oh, well, what's your reasoning? <laughs> you know, and so like, because this idea of like, oh, yeah, I have to sit, but I know all my friends got waivers, so I can get a waiver. You know, and so then you talk to them about eligibility, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's a freshman, maybe they're not going to lose as many units. But if it's like a junior who's a semester away from grad, you know, a semester and some summer school away from graduating, like, I'll still try and influx those kinds of conversations, right? Like, because the ultimate path is to graduation. Like, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's silly to quote, you know, how many go pro, but you know those numbers. And so those are like the three things I'll still talk about is, hey, I still think you should talk to your coach. Like, they brought you here, you know, and unless I think, oh, this is a beyond repair and I shouldn't send this student into the office. Um, you know, do you, are you accepting the fact that you may not get to play next year because you have to sit a year? And what's, what's your path to graduation look like here first at a new school? I still try and, like, push that conversation. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I just feel like that's, that's the job. I think that, you know, people only hear, you know, the mainstream stuff in the news, but you're not thinking about it on, like, what it actually looks like inside the university and for, for you guys. And I know this has created a lot more work, hopefully – you know, it will pay off and benefit the student athlete. But I know in the meantime, you guys are probably sleeping less than you ever have. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a changing industry. And I, I always said, like, you know, I've been doing this 12 years now. Like, every year I was like, oh, this is, we're changing, we're changing. And, it, you know, and now it's like, oh, no, like, there's some really big things happening. Right? Where it could all look very unrecognizable in the next two to three years. Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Way better than either Braden or I could have done. So, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Bye, Dugan. Bye. That was Erin Atkins. Appreciate her time. Associate AD of Compliance for UCLA. Of course, appreciate Barrett Salee's time earlier as well on the show. I hope. I think. I think I'm smarter now, Erin, for having listened to you two talk about all this crazy, weird stuff in college football. She is. She's much smarter and than yes, like you said earlier, than both of us combined. And she can tell it to people that are not as smart as her, which is another level of talent. (laughs) Yeah. So I hope hope everybody learned there. Like there's certainly lots of issues, lots of details and lots of complicated things. But I thought, you know what? It's the middle of the off season. Name, image and likeness laws are getting passed. The transfer portal rule has changed. I thought it would be a good time to get some insight uh, and a uh, great job by you, Aaron, grabbing. Uh, look at you booking all the, the shows the last couple of weeks. How about that? Well, Vander, thanks, Vanderbilt. Just relationships there. I will say it is it is an interesting take when you think about all this name, image, likeness, NCAA, money this, money that. It is good to know that there are people on the inside of each school like Aaron in the compliance position. People don't, that's not an easy job. People don't, no. that's not the easiest legal job you can get. So people who do that really care about their student athletes. And like she said, you know, that is the that is at the top of their list of concerns. And it's really, really good to have people like her in place, especially like you said, when guys are looking to get in the transfer portal and you don't want to end up in a situation where you can't graduate or you're not going to end up with scholarship money. So for the student athletes sake, that's a very, very important position. Yep, absolutely. And the NCAA spread very thin when it comes to compliance. Um, everybody has to self-regulate, self-report. They're not really capable of handling all this NIL stuff. The free market should be handling it all, and it should be transparent, above board, and documented in a, in a database so that we all know exactly how much everybody's making, and that way you can't really cheat with it. So I don't think it's a, a hard solve, actually, to be honest with you on that one. So uh, special thanks to Aaron Atkins and Barrett Salee for joining us this week on the show. Aaron Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's, the watering hole of downtown Nashville. Interesting. Why do I not get the the phrase? It's the watering hole. You said watering hole one time, and now I can't think of (laughs) anything else. It's your it's your neighborhood hang, you know, like it's a it's a a spot to grab a beer, a cocktail, some really, really good food on the new menu by Deb Packett, a great chef. Fra- uh, they have frat breads for Braden. <laughs> I love a good frat bread. <laughs> That's when you get called Brad. I was pro butt chugging. I might as well be pro frat bread, you know? He loves a butt chug and a frat bread. <laughs> this is a regular, this is a good old Together, though. They have to be together. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Good old Friday night for me, man. <laughs> That's what I tell you. I tell you what, boys and girls. Oh, make sure I'm not at Jasper's that Friday. Please go to Jasper's and enjoy yourself. Uh, have a free cocktail because you'll get, sorry, have free parking and pay for your cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cocktails on Braden. Come to me. I'll buy you a frat bread and some cocktails. How about that? Um, oh my gosh, no. I can't believe you said that. Great menu. Great food. Free parking. Great place to hang. Great happy hour. Just great all around. And it'll keep your mom quiet. That's just, if that's what you want, I guess. I, you know. This is a very suggested ad. Go, go to Jasper's. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> where can people find you? Um, Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan and Twitter, the Aaron Dugan. You can follow me, of course, at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Special thanks to everybody hanging out with us. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We do love you all. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Frat star.